this is really about building resiliency into the system, as well as leveling the playing field so that small and mid-sized processors can compete against some of the larger establishments as well. And then finally, increasing transparency in the cattle markets so that ranchers can get a fair price for their work. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Things are happening in Washington, D.C. I mean, we hear a lot of things going on, but how about agriculture? And particularly when it comes to uh, the meat industry, uh, with implications for livestock farmers and processors and ultimately consumers. And it's something that's come to our attention recently because of an announcement really made by President Biden himself. And it was something called the Biden-Harris Action Plan for a fairer, more competitive, and more resilient meat and poultry supply chain. And boy, when you look at that, there is a lot to get done in that area. And it's on the plate of a Californian that's relocating back to Washington, D.C. to be the Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs at the USDA, Jenny Lester Moffat. Welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I have to say, as a Californian, I feel like we're doing the industry a service by sharing a really capable Californian with the leadership at USDA. And I want to start off with saying less congratulations and more just appreciation. Thank you for going back there. I think anymore, it's kind of a, it's a tough job to represent all the farmers and ranchers and consumers and people that care about the food industry in the country. And you've got one of the most important jobs at the USDA in that regard, covers a big, broad area. And I just want to tell you, we we appreciate your making that commitment. Welcome to the big leagues there. Oh, well, thank you, Roger. And it is certainly an honor to have the opportunity to serve. It's an you know, it's an honor to serve um, with this administration, with the president, with with Secretary Vilsack. Um, but really, it's an honor to serve um, the the incredible staff that we have at USDA, both at APHIS, AMS, and across the and the department. Um, we just have such uh, an incredible team that that is working day in and day out on. Things like this, our food supply chain, but of course, everything, everything in between and things that really do impact rural America and American agriculture. So we, we need to do a, a, a little uh, sound out here to the fact you've, you've been used to some incredible teams before, too. I mean, you're, uh, you and your husband have an organic walnut uh, operation. You've been involved in farming. You've been in California ag leadership. You've been uh, and you've been in some similar senior responsibilities at the California Department of Agriculture, but not quite for 50 states. So the, I can see that um, you have to be happy to find that they got that team. And you've also been working with the Secretary of Agriculture here, Karen Ross. And Karen had a couple years of really running uh, the day-to-day operations at the USDA under your new boss, the Secretary of Agriculture. I'm curious, when your name came up to take this job, did you go to Karen and say, how about it? Uh, would you do it again? 
because she made that trip and ended up coming back to California in a few years. But did you and Karen talk about this before you decided to, okay, I'm in? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, Karen has been, I, I worked with Karen at, at Department of Food and Agriculture for six and a half years in California and just as an incredible um, mentor to so many people, myself included. So when when thinking about this big shift, um, certainly she was one of the first people I talked with and, and, and sought advice and guidance from. Well, I, I'm sure she would... Uh, join me and others now in saying we're glad she's she's there and hope to do anything they can to help. And that's kind of the attitude I've got with this conversation today, too. Um, I want to share with what you've got on the plate right now and also want to right up front say there's more to say anytime. Come back to me because I want to help get the word out as much as we can. So I'm wondering when you end up having the president of the United States get out into a press conference and make an action like uh, a step like this and then announcing that they're going to be focusing on the meat and poultry supply chain. Was that a long time coming? Was this the sort of thing that that you and your role at the USDA have to be uh, consulting with, with advisors at the White House that were teeing this thing up? To say, you know, let's let's of all these different things we can tackle right now. This is important to make the high on the list and get the president himself out there to announce we're kicking off this direction. So, tell us what that's what that's like of identifying an issue like this coming down the pike and getting it to the point that even the secretary steps up. I mean, the president steps up to the podium and says, "Here we go. We're going to focus on this area." Yeah, certainly this has been a, um, a a work in progress and something that our team has been working on for some time. Over the summer, Secretary Vilsack had announced at that point $500 million for expanded meat and poultry processing capacity. And so from even prior to that announcement, um, but certainly since that announcement, really working together across the department, and as you mentioned, along with our, um, the White House and others in the administration to really um, craft out the plan for what was then that 500 million. Now in this new announcement, it's expanding um, addition to additional funds as well. So a total one billion dollar package. Um, so this has been a uh, certainly something in the makes and and something that we are uh, of course um, still working on today as well. You know, when I try to figure out how to explain this to others about this area of attention. Uh, it's it's tricky. I mean, I look over the list of all the things that will be uh, explored, but it starts with the premise that uh, it looks to me like there's uh, a small number of processors that control most of the um, meat processing and both poultry and beef and pork. They're not necessarily the same companies. There's a couple of couple of different that are dominating one industry versus another, but still it's only a few people or a few companies that, that dominate. And, and there is a sense that that's not ideal, that, um, that there's a sense there should be more companies that more processors, more local processors, smaller processors. And, and I know coming from California you were hearing that quite a bit uh, back here as well of, of people that felt that way, that there was just 
They might be able to raise livestock in smaller scale operations, but there's no place to get them processed. Is this the best place to start? Is that there was a, a consensus that it could be better and that we're missing not having more uh, viable processing plants across the country other than the big three or four that exist in these existing industries? Yeah, so the announcement by, by President Biden and Secretary Vilsack two weeks ago really does um, address and, and, and announce our multi-pronged strategy or approach to tackling this big problem. As you mentioned, Roger, there is a significant concentration in the system. And as we experienced during COVID, at the beginning of COVID, certainly um, if there's a fire at a meat process, one of the larger meat processing plants, um, significant disruption can happen and have a really outsized impact on consumers and producers. And so this is really about building resiliency into the system as well as leveling the playing field so that small and mid-sized processors can compete against some of the larger establishments as well. So one of the ways that happens is that that the USDA will be able to, what does it make, grant money available or loans or loan guarantees for uh, other companies that want to start up that would be, in fact, competing with the, the big three or four that exist right now. Um, is, is that the first step? Um, is then to come up with a plan, um, a business plan, and, and be able to apply for grants or other help? Yeah, so um, our the plan is really includes four core strategies. So I'll quickly walk through the four core strategies and I'll dive into the financial piece that, that you're talking about here. But um, the first strategy is investment of the American Rescue Plan funds into expanded independent processing capacity. Um, the second is also recognizing that we need to support workers in the independent processor industry as well and workforce development. Third is laying the groundwork to strengthen rules and protect farmers, ranchers, and consumers. And then finally, increasing transparency in the cattle markets so that ranchers can get a fair price for their work. So all four of those together, expanding and, and having an additional financing capacity, workforce development, leveling the playing field, ensuring that the, the, the laws that we have in place are really meeting the needs of the competitive and, and, and ensuring a competitive atmosphere that they are intended to do. And then, of course, transparency in cattle markets as well. Um, so I can walk through some of how we plan on using the money, um, but unless you have any questions on those four key approaches. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think it's good to get these four. And one of them that, um, that one thing I would do want to ask you is that within those four approaches, there's also um, issue new product of USA labeling rules, too. Yeah. So, um, and, and I want to be sure we touch on that as well. So, so let's, let's plunge in and talk about these, about how you're getting them rolling. Yeah, absolutely. So um, two weeks ago, or the announcement that the president had is to dedicate that we're dedicating $1 billion from the American Rescue Plan funds to support this plan. Um, and we're going to use that money in a variety of different ways. So first, as you mentioned, is the finance of additional processing capacity, additional capacity in meat and poultry processing. So we'll do um, we'll do that through both grants as well as loans and loan guarantees. So in the grants, 
we have up to $375 million that we're going to be available in two phases, a phase one and a phase two. Phase one, we will actually put out this spring and we'll make available $150 million that we expect will support an additional 15 processing, additional 15, as well as the existing 15. So it's not just for new processing, but also growing and expanding additional processing capacity as well. Um, and then phase two later on this summer um, will be for $225 million. And that is for long-term investments to expand capacity as well. We also know that we need to strengthen the financing system for independent processors. So we're planning on deploying $275 million in partnership with lenders to increase capital, um, initially with an emphasis on lenders that invest in underserved communities. We also announced in December, and it's, and it's part of this $1 billion fund, is $100 million in American Rescue Plan funds to make loan guarantees. So backing private lenders that invest independently in independent-owned food processing and distribution infrastructure as well. Um, so those are the key components of, of the actual processing infrastructure capacity and the funding for those. We also plan on, of this billion dollars, plan on using $100 million to invest in, in building a pipeline of well-trained workers and to support workplaces with fair wages. So this $100 million will be to support the development of a workforce, workforce training, things like partnering with, let's say, a community college who could do a certification program for, the work, for workers who are looking to get into the meat and poultry processing or for meat and, current meat and poultry processing workers who are looking for add value jobs and within that industry as well. Um, and then we have another $50 million in technical assistance and research and development. So this is about um, not just um, funding the plants, but also providing technical assistance for those plants that are looking to start getting running or who are currently running and need additional support outside of just cash assistance, but really technical assistance, um, people who can really walk through the grant process, um, but also who can also support through the process of, of getting through um, the different levels and, and um, whether that is inspection readiness or, or otherwise. Boy, that is a lot. And every once in a while, I wanted to stop you because you were saying something and, and um, I had to clarify when you're talking about billion with a B and million with an M because there's, <laughs> there's some big dollars and I'm not getting used to talking about bigger dollars than I'd ever heard of before. But the, the one thing I, I wonder too, just getting this thing all set up. Um, it's huge. I mean, we're having a short podcast conversation about it. And, and I think anybody listening can see this is a big program. And, uh, and you've got everybody back in that department right now, uh, pretty well have full time jobs. I mean, are you going to have to create, um, you know, lightener load or um, which agencies are going to be under under your group? Um, who, what are the offices that are going to be paying attention to this and possibly needing to add add some staffing to be able to get these programs organized? Yeah, and that's what's what's very important about all of this is that while this is is work that we're doing in in our missionary and the marketing and regulatory program, this is without a doubt an all of USDA effort. 
certainly um, rural development has been very engaged and very involved. They are our lending arm at USDA. And so really important part. And they do, of course, they are very versed, well versed at, um, at loans and, and grants, um, but also food safety inspection services. We want to make sure that we're engaging tribes. So our partner, you know, uh, across the department with Office of Tribal Relations, um, really making sure that we're we're doing this in a way that is comprehensive. We're not leaving people out, and we're keeping our our sight and our vision on what is best needed for those out in in both processing as well as in producers, and of course for consumers as well. Now, will you be forming um, advisory committees or sounding boards or something to, as you're rolling this out? Because there's there's such a broad constituencies here for wanting to see improvements. Uh, how are you going to how are you going to be sure that you're keeping the support and getting uh, helping them identify things that are coming up that per- perhaps haven't been anticipated? Yeah, so we did do a call for um, concepts, and and we we received a lot of public comments this past late summer, early fall. Um, so we received a lot of comment letters then about as we're developing this, what was then the five hundred million dollars, and how we were investing it. What was the most appropriate way to invest it? So we really took all of those public comments to heart as we were developing this multi pronged approach, and and how we invest the funding. Um, of course, as we develop the program, making sure we hear from people is key. Secretary was just out in Colorado on Friday listening to meat and poultry processors and producers of what their needs are. Um, we will continue to be on the road and hearing from people as well. So, um, And then, of course, the technical assistance is really designed to be just that is to be nimble and to, to, to fund, you know, I call them boots on the ground, folks on the ground who really do know the industry are well versed in, in what the industry needs and to be able to be that support, uh, whether it's application assistance or other technical support through the process. You know, I was in a clubhouse room the other day and I told them that I was going to be talking to you and it was listeners really actually people in conversation. They weren't listening. They were talking as well from all over. And one of the things they came up was the uh, a farmer feeder that told me that, well, we've tried this so often before. They're just, you know, they're glad that you're looking into it and hopefully get something going, but they're frustrated because Many in many parts of the country, they've tried to get uh, small plants going and try to get some competition, and it's just been really, really hard. And one of the specific questions they had is, what's to keep somebody from getting this up and going and then selling out to to one of the large companies? And that um, you know, which is not what we're hoping to have happen. But is, is there any any way to keep that from happening? Well, there's a, a few things that were really uh, certainly that is and that is definitely on mind and something that we are navigating and trying to make sure we mitigate as much as possible. So we will, as we are drafting the request for proposals, the request for applications that we'll be soliciting, um, that is that is a key thing that we will be factoring in. And so we don't have that all drafted out yet. That will come out this spring. Um, but certainly that is part of it is, is ensuring that the funding is going to independent processors. And then at the same time, as I mentioned at the outset, this there are four core strategies. And a key part of this also 
is um, is is doing the work to make sure that we have a fair and competitive playing field as well, so that those new the new processors or the smaller processors that are growing to be slightly larger or mid-sized processors have a level competitive playing field to compete in as well. And so that is that is absolutely important. We're looking not just at the processing capacity, but also at how um, what competition looks like in the retail sector as well. You know, I'm familiar with the Buy America programs that have crafted with pride and so forth that required uh, Buy, Buy American. I'm, I'm wondering, is there any potential to tie in some sort of marketing incentives or something for these companies so they get started so that their products can be uh, getting preferential treatment from taxes or other kind of incentives for, um, you know, maybe school systems and prisons and others to prioritize that a certain percentage uh, is supporting uh, a local processor. Is, is that possibly, could that be on the drawing board? Well, you, you mentioned product of the USA and USA labeling, and that is a key piece of it is for consumers to know and to, to make those educated decisions, just like I'm sure you and, and I know I, when I'm um, grocery shopping, I want to know and, and be able to have the, that labeling to make those educated decisions. We're also, of course, we do um, a significant amount of work through our procurement and, um, and, and we've made some announcements recently just about really growing the local regional supply chain networks within pr local procurement as well, both for things like food bank purchases as well as school purchases that you mentioned. And so those are key things that we are, we're working on as well. Um, and then, you know, certainly, um, I think the last thing is, is really just, again, getting back to, to ensuring that consumers know what they're purchasing and then also having the processing capacity locally for processors, for, for producers to be able to bring their, their meat, their poultry to the processor and then be able to sell that meat also directly to consumers as well as a key thing. You know, one example of this that, that I think you and I both are familiar with is the University of California, Davis. Uh, the hospital has a procurement program that really prioritizes on getting uh, getting local. They really can't take care of all their meat needs because there just isn't hasn't been enough. But can you envision something like maybe USC Davis's you know procurement to seek out those those suppliers and those medium size and smaller kind of suppliers? Do you think that has application beyond California? Absolutely. We know that hospitals, uh, you know, certainly UC Davis is a great example of that, that but, but many other hospital chains, as well as other institutional purchasing uh, procurement chains are, are looking at this opportunity to be able to provide healthy, good food for, of course, their, in this case, their patients, um, or in other cases, students, um, but then also to be able to to have that steady supply of a local supply chain, which sometimes it's really hard to get. And so that's where this money is so important. We also just want to mention that we did invest in the fall $32 million in grants to 167 existing meat and poultry processing facilities um, so that they can actually reach more customers by becoming federally inspected through what is called the Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program. 
Um, so that is about um, investing in existing facilities who want to take the next step, go through the inspection so that they can then turn around and sell their meat to, to places like hospitals, to schools, to other institutional purchases, as well as restaurants as well in, in, in addition. You know, one of the things we start off with these conversations and talking about re resilience and food sovereignty and so forth, but I don't know how much it comes up in the conversations that that uh, two of the largest companies that have a, such a huge percentage of, of owning the meat processing business in, in the United States are foreign, one from Brazil and, and one actually from, from China. Um, you know, and then they own lots of other companies and they're importing products and bringing them and so forth. Um, I don't think I've seen that really mentioned in this in this outline. Is it a is it a concern or the fact that there's such a high percentage of, of the product that's controlled from other than American companies? Does this does that figure into it at all or am I reaching? You know, we're really concerned about about the consolidation that's been happening. And this has been decades in the making um, in the meat and poultry supply chain. Um, we've heard stories. I, in my travels, have heard stories of people who've unfortunately had to do things like depopulate their livestock back in 2020 um, when, when they did lose processing capacity. Um, we've heard from others um, who've had to wait 18 months or longer for a processing appointment. People are saying that they have fewer options to sell their cattle, their um, their their pork, their um, all of their meat too. And so this is really about um, expanding that opportunity. Um, we have heard just just incredible stories of locals who are banding together, really starting to 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 create, let's say, cooperative type structures. Um, to to really start to um, to to create a local food system, to create a regional meat processing system, a meat system that supports the meat in the area, the meat that is being produced in the area, the consumer base that might be in the area or even beyond the area, and to have these local and regional processing capacity, um, so that there are more opportunities for for producers, for ranchers um, and farmers to be able to bring their, their product to the market, but then also for consumers, for us to have more choices too, so that we're not, um, all of me is not going through a certain bottleneck. Boy, I tell you what, it's a, it's a big assignment and sure glad you're on it. I Somehow as we're talking, I'm thinking back, it was a Californian that made the joke uh, that the three words everybody feared was uh, I'm from the government and I'm for, here to help. And it was obviously Ronald Reagan said it back then. And, and now I think some people are so gun shy about new projects and programs and so forth that maybe they, they fear when you say I'm from California and I'm here to help. But you really are from California and you're there to help. And I, I really, again, want to thank you for for what you're doing and what you're going to do and that tackling this that's important to people all over, not just farmers in, in every state of the country, but also to consumers and the whole food chain. I think it's a very important work. And, and let me ask you, just want to wrap up now, and, and let, let me ask you if people want to keep track of what you're doing, what's going on in this, or want to get engaged or help in any way, what do you tell people? Yeah, so we do have a very easy to memorize web page. It is called, it is usda.gov backslash meat. 
So it's usda.gov backslash meet. And that is where we will be keeping um, updates on the meat and poultry supply chain effort on that page. So as we put out a request for proposal for grants, as we do announcements on some of the packers and stockyards work, on the competition work, that will all be posted there so, you, so folks can go there. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not every day that I get to have the Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs at the USDA on Farm to Table Talk. And and Ginny Lester Moffat, I'm glad you took the time to talk to us today and, and best of luck with what you're tackling. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 